Fantasy knotted around money as a drive derivative organizes unconscious modes of family survival. Social, historical, political, and economic considerations also influence the conscious and unconscious establishment of alliances, pacts, agreements, and rules to govern family life. Is the redrafting of laws enough to solve the permanent difficulties of equivalence when couples and families talk about money and assets? In this episode, we will listen to Paulina Zuckerman's paper, Couples and Families, a Psychoanalytic Perspective on Money Issues, in which she considers unconscious stipulations to be an illusory attempt to lessen the uncertainty of otherness. She draws references to Freud, Isidoro Berenstein, and René Caez. Paulina Zuckerman holds a Ph.D., and is a full member and training analyst at the Psychoanalytic Association of Buenos Aires. She is the director and tenured professor for the master's degree program on family and couples at the University Institute of Mental Health of the Buenos Aires Psychoanalytic Association and in Moringa, Brazil. She has published in several psychoanalytic reviews and works in private practice in Buenos Aires. I am Monica Dalençon with Talks on Psychoanalysis, the IPA podcast devoted to topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide featuring the original voices of the authors. This episode has been produced in collaboration with Gaetano Pellegrini, Gabriela Rion for the Spanish version, and the podcast team. Please check the details of the episode to find more information about the author. And to stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. Couples and Families, a Psychoanalytical Perspective on Money Issues I'll try to address some of these matters on the basis of the main conclusions drawn in a research paper entitled Conceptual Analysis of the Relationship Between Unconscious Pacts and Agreements and the Circulation of Money in Families and Couples in the University of Buenos Aires and other subsequent articles. The starting point of my investigation was the idea that material survival is one of the aspects inherent in family life. Historians and sociologists are of the same mind when they describe family links as groups that are engaged in, among other, shared activities related to consumption and to production. Giorgio Agamben reminds us that the Greek term oikonomia refers to managing the oikos, the home. The organization of modes of survival is a function posited as one of the issues which has to be addressed in our culture by family members who are, on the one hand, permitted by the fantasy noted around money as a drive derivative and, on the other hand, by social, historical, political, economic and other sorts of considerations. 
An example. It's frequent to listen this kind of dialogues. However, it is only logical that we don't see it the same way when we cannot agree on anything. One wants to do this or that, the other doesn't. One wants to buy something, the other doesn't. We couldn't even get as far as to put our money together and make a decision between the both of us. It has always been to each one's own. I have already paid for this. Now it's your turn to pay for that. I wonder, whose savings are these? This example, let us see the need for working out issues and for psychic work within family links. This work is performed through the conscious and unconscious establishment of alliances, pacts, agreements and rules to govern family life. As a result of the courtly love ideal in Western cultures, financial agreements had to be negotiated in unexpressed terms. Love was positioned in the hegemonic value for union between the bride and groom. Since then, financial factors had to be processed in inconspicuous ways. Today, schemes such as prenuptial agreements legitimize once again financial factors and set the stage for express stipulation similar to what happened in the past. But one possible question is whether the redrafting of the laws is enough to solve the permanent difficulties in links between what constitutes a person's own property and what belongs to another person. As we are well aware, there is no possible equivalence between what one gives and what one receives. There is no doubt that the notion of symmetry becomes blurred in clinical practice with linked patients and this becomes particularly manifest when couples and families talk about money and assets. About unconscious stipulations. In the chapter entitled Unconscious Stipulations in his book Omsequanalysing a Family, Isidoro Berenstein held Links are the result of a set of agreements, pacts, standards, and rules. More often than not, these are unconscious. René Caez, in turn, in his book A Plural Singular, where he summarizes a major part of his theoretical frameworks about group therapy, posits. Identifications, specular, narcissistic, adhesive, projective and introjective are surely necessary but insufficient to establish in a link and maintain it. I have designated the intersubjective psychic formations constructed by a link's sub subjects to reinforce 
certain processes, functions or structures in each one of them as unconscious alliances. From these alliances, the links subjects gain benefits of a sort such that the link that brings them together acquires decisive value to their psychic life. The set soul linked only acquires its psychic reality from the alliances, contracts and pacts that their subjects consummate and that the role they play in the set compels them to maintain. The idea of unconscious alliances implies obligations and attachments. Unconscious alliances are the links formations. They operate in links such as couples, families, groups, institutions. They are synchronous and dechronous, and it is for this reason that they are a fundamental process in intergeneration psychic transmission. In effect, unconscious alliances are not only those that we contract for with our contemporaries. They are also contracted for us before we are born. We inherit them. Unconscious alliances are not only formed to keep some representations unconscious in line with the joint, mutually warranted interests of several subjects, thereby sealing their link. Alliances themselves remain unconscious. I am particularly intent on pointing out some similar aspects surrounding the issue of unconscious stipulations in the above-mentioned authors, in spite of their becoming from clinical spheres that, though based on links, are different spheres. Caius studied groups, Berenstein, families and couples. First, the idea that these are intersubjective unconscious products and processes that generate links and are, in turn, generated by the links. Second, the idea that they are part of a subjectivizing exchange. Third, the notion of obligation and subjection entailed for those who agree to such stipulations. And four, above all, I emphasize an aspect that appears more explicitly in Kay's theory and that is implied in Berenstain's, the idea of instinctual renunciation, of unconscious choice that sends other choices to the unconscious or negates them. For instance, Kyle defines a type of alliance that he calls Pact of the Nihilas, an unconscious agreement about what aspects are to remain unconscious for the link to be organized and for each subject's interests to be maintained, desires, affections, and unwelcome representations are 
silenced. Caes points out that this fact of denial is related to the work of negativity, denial, repression, double denial, foreclosure, rejection, suppression, etc., according different theories. It implies that something is created that is neither signifiable nor transformable, areas of silence, sacks of intoxication that maintain subjects alien to their own and others' history, insofar as it is a pact that is never formalized as such, but which can be recorded in the signifier chain formed in the link by the link's subjects. Berenstein describes a specific type of agreement, the narcissistic. It contains a contradiction. On one hand, all agreements are underpinned by the recognition of differences between the ego and the other, but that what is narcissistic would be all that opposes an agreement with the other, as their alterities are not considered and it is only a relationship of unicity where no agreements would be necessary that is accepted. Irrespective of the different definitions, this is similar to Caes' pact of denial. These ideas remind us Freud's famous phrase, Analysts do not dispute that money is to be regarded in the first instance as a medium for self-preservation and for obtaining power, but he maintains that, besides these, powerful sexual factors are involved in the value set upon it. They can point out that money matters are treated by civilized people in the same way as sexual matters with the same inconsistency, brothishness and hypocrisy. On the basis of the ideas discussed in this paper and paying special attention to contributions from other disciplines such as anthropology and sociology, I believe that the unconscious stipulations that cause links and that are produced by links are historically built on renunciations whose content depends on the values and logics that are generally accepted in each social and cultural group. Let's talk about money inside the consulting room. When addressed from the category of material recounted during this session, money is frequently present in narratives as a source of pain, conflict, crisis, as shown by the initial bullet that speaks for itself. Others are sometimes not even mentioned in treatment. However, the stipulations that make up the psychoanalytic device 
allow inferences to be picked up from the manners in which these financial issues are settled within the family. In that regard, the idea of family associative chain is an important tool in this area. Maria Cristina Rojas, on the basis of CAE's group associative chain idea, offers a cross-section of the analyst listening activity which she calls family associative chain. She says, given the relative stability of the family link, signifiers and significances are apt to stamp their brand on the psychic lives of their members, thereby referring to the constituent role played by family discourse. It is therefore the other's presence at the session which give rise to chains or signifiers and this in turn will pave the way for significances other than those arising in individual sessions. Now, if we return to the couple with the question, whose savings are these? We can say that this question condensates a modality in which hyper-differentiation between husband and wife prevails. This is their agreements. Their disavowal of the common or shared aspects of the links members maintains both the inability to organize daily life management, as would be the case of ticket difficulties in reaching some shared guidelines in raising their kids, as well as an inability to mitigate the suffering of the solitude experience to which they condemn themselves without realizing it. Just to come here is a reference in terms of transference to the fragile we that they suffer. To conclude this presentation, let us examine the Ibsen Platt, a doll's house. Nora renounces even her children so as not to repeat the link modality that came from her family of origin and the link modalities concerning money and marriage as an institution in her time. In connection with such renunciation, Mariano Sava, doctor in literature and theatre writer, posits. Ibsen is not looking for shallow changes in the social structure. Rather, he is after a complete renewal of human nature, no matter how expensive it may be, and puts forward Nora's gesture as sacrificial rebelliousness. Sacrifice can be considered as the extreme point of renunciation concerning links. I think renunciation, relinquishment, 
dispossession, delivery, sacrifice, etc., are attempts that will require a specific concept from the standpoint of links in psychoanalysis. It is not clinical material, but I thought it interesting to apply some of the ideas discussed here to this play. It is considered that the most dramatic point in the play is not the moment when Nora leaves the family home, but when she says to her husband, Sit down, Torvald. You and I have much to say to each other. Speech is what we propose to our patients on the assumption that it will be through speech that some alternative will appear to the pain that they narrate.